the area that they put us in, they put my family, another Congolese family, two Somali families, another family from um from Ivory Coast there. Five black families. Mm. And they put us in an estate where it was a National Front headquarters. Okay. Those of you guys don't understand what National Front is a group of people that it's almost, it's, they share the views of the Nazis where they feel like, you know, like, um, Hello and welcome to Woke Finance, a podcast discussing all things finance and all things finance related. It's your boy Peter and I'm with my co-host, my bro Jax. How are you, man? Hey, Peter. I'm very well. Very good. Uh, at the time of recording this episode, uh, it's not been long. It's been just over a week since I came back from Asia, uh, Indonesia to be specific. Uh, and I spent some time in Singapore as well really really hot countries but now i'm back in the uk i can start to feel the cold again it's starting to get cold it's really really starting to get cold (laughs) it's a shock to your system especially being in such a hot country man but once again man welcome back man we definitely missed you our listeners have missed you man because i had to do an episode by myself man so yours definitely missed bro yeah 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 i had i had to listen to the episode it was, it was brilliant well done well congratulations man but definitely i can tell you missed me <laughs> <laughs> come on come on come on but now nah, for our listeners as well man just a massive shout out to you wherever you are in the world keep doing what you're doing like and subscribing commenting and all of that good stuff now on the topic of jack's traveling and being in different places and in international places we do have a special guest with us one of my one of my guys, um, and yeah, we're going to just uh, shout over to him. It's going to be one of those chilled episodes, man, um, where we just take a deep dive into um, the background of our guest and talk a bit more about his journey as well. But without further ado, and I'm going to talk why I mentioned the international piece in a second, but without further ado, just want to welcome our friend, Teng. Come on, on, Jax, how you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm good, man. What's going on, Tang? Yeah, man. Welcome back, man. I heard about <laughs> your, your trips abroad, man. Hopefully you enjoyed it and you oh. back fresh and refreshed. Oh, absolutely. I absolutely enjoyed it. It was the first time in quite a while that I've actually managed to switch off completely because I was away for two weeks. I think previously when I've taken holidays, it's been like a week or so. But yeah, I was really happy to be able to switch off for two weeks and come back uh, to Peter because I can tell Peter really missed me. <laughs> <laughs> come on. Cool. And now, na- na- Tang, um... I guess just for so our listeners can get to know you a bit yeah. more. Um, I guess one of the first things I mentioned is obviously the international side. Now you got a nickname that you go by, or we've nicknamed you, and that's International Tank. So first of all, I'm gonna ask you to just say why we call you International Tank, and maybe let us know maybe one of the best places you've ever been to and why. Before we get into your background. Oh, um, <laughs> so these guys just decided to to give me the the nickname. I guess is because you know I'm consistently traveling because. Um, I'm based now in the UK, but you know, I've known Peter for over 10 years now. And for years I was working and living in the U S I spent eight years over there. Um, but every time, you know, I have a holiday, I come back to the UK and I travel a lot in Africa extensively, especially in East Africa. Hmm. Um, also now West Africa, my wife is from Ghana. So Jackson, <laughs> one from your, you know, I managed to, to, to pick one up from your country, my friend. <laughs> well, congratulations. Well, we're, we're officially brothers-in-law, man. That's what I like to hear. That's what yeah. I like to hear. Well, congratulations. So, you yeah, certainly got good taste. Yeah. So, so we got that East-West connection. Um, but I'm originally <laughs> from Sudan anyway, oh, just to let you guys know. Um, country's actually now split into two. So there is Sudan and the South Sudan. They had independence in the last 10 to like 11 years. 
Um, so two countries is a political thing. Uh, that could t- that could be a podcast in itself. <laughs> in itself why they bro. split, you know. Um, but yeah, in short, it's you know the, the nickname came uh, 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 came from I think Peter or it might be Samson. <laughs> I'm not too sure. One of these guys, Samson's <laughs> another friend of ours. Um, shout out to Samson. Um, but yeah, the nickname came is just obviously just because my traveling, where I've lived, where I've worked, um, and just kind of how I've grew up. You know, before I let you guys into the story eventually as the um, podcast progresses. Um, obviously lived in multiple countries as a kid, um, but I've also traveled around a lot for my job and also uh, for business as well. So that's where the nickname comes from. And what would you say your favorite, most favorite place you've been to? Um, I've got a few to be fair. You know, I think just, just I think in terms of Africa, I think East Africa, I think for me, Mombasa, uh, Mombasa, which is a, a coastal town in Kenya, was a really, really nice place um, that I've been to. Um, Tanzania, mm. Rwanda. There's a few places that I've been to. In West Africa, I really enjoy Ghana because the hospitality I get there when I get uh, from my family-in-law. Come on. Amazing, man. I <laughs> Come go on. there, I put my feet up. Everybody everybody does everything for wow. me, man. Kingship, so kingship. Life is good, so I'm just enjoying life. So purely based on that, like I said, that's the, probably one of the only countries I've been to in West Africa, but my experience oh my. in Ghana... It's been excellent, you know, it's been excellent. Um, outside of Africa, um, I've been to a few European places. Switzerland, I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, but I think for me, uh, Brazil, Brazil was really, really enjoyable. I think because um, the country is so vast, one, and also just the diversity of people is, mm. is amazing. The diversity <laughs> between wealth and poverty, the diversity before landscape and everything, it's just it's just amazing, man. It was wow. really, really good. So that's one of the places I'd probably say is really, really up there with a few of the, the African countries. Wow. So, yeah. No, that's amazing, man. And I know uh, Brazil will probably be chipped into your story in terms of you. Did you go there for holiday or was that work? No, I was there for, well, I was there for holiday most yeah. of the time. I went there a few times, yeah. but mostly I was in, for work, I was in nice. Mexico. So Fantastic. Yeah. So life. we'll definitely touch on that. Jax, when you go to Ghana, do you get treated like a king? Do you know what? I've not actually been back for a while, but oh, yes, uh, Jack, you know, I know. I'm, I'm I actually know. disappointed. I'm disappointed. Huh? Well, everybody's you know, going to a country enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys, you Ghanaians, are, uh, you're living in, in Lizzie's country. Yeah, do, you, do you know what? Um, my, my, my wife was actually telling me she's disappointed that I haven't been back as well. She's been back uh, quite often. And interestingly, you mentioned Brazil literally, literally yesterday. Mm. We were discussing kind of the countries we want to visit as a, as a couple um, for yeah. holidays. Uh, Brazil actually came up as one of her destinations that she wants to go wow. to. So it's it's very interesting you've mentioned it. And yeah. we, we will definitely have a conversation off air uh, for, for you to guide us as to where to go and, and yeah. how to obviously navigate the country. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Come on, come on, Absolutely. come on. Now, thanks for that, uh, Teng, man. And offline, we were just chatting about uh, one of your guys that... <laughs> that that mentioned you to do something regarding this podcast. You want to quickly just share that to me? <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, a, a friend of mine. I met him over the weekend and um, went to school together, but he grew up in the East London area. And just to give you a bit of context, so I went to school in North London in, in East Finchley, and he he lived in East London, I think like maybe around Hackney Wick, Stratford area. I'm not too mm. sure exactly. And um, we're in the same school year. So he, you know, he told me about, you know, the work finance, this is actually on Saturday, you know, it's like, oh, Tang, you know, we're in conversation because I haven't seen him for years. And he put me on to it. He was like, oh, you know, you should listen to work for finance. I know a couple of guys that are our age that, you know, grew up in that area 
and I think their younger brother was friends with with I think it might be friends with you, Jax, or people that know you around the area. Um, I'm not too sure what his brother, young the younger brother's name is, but there was a connection anyway. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know Peter and so on. I listened to it as well and so on. And like, you know, I did, and I kind of just left that at that. And then the conversation moved on to something else, you know. But knowing that I was coming on today, I just kind of didn't really, you know, move into as much detail and just kind of left it as is. But yeah, so that's where the connection is with, you know, the whole work finances. The reach is getting bigger and bigger, I think. Um, not only with, I guess, Within your age group, people are a little bit younger and people a little bit older as well within the community, I think. Wow. That's so interesting. You, you know, in recent times, quite a few people have been... Um, I, I was telling Peter the other day that someone spotted me just outside my workplace um, <laughs> in St. Paul's and he just came up to me and he was like, are you Jax? And I said, yeah, yeah, that's that's me. Um, and he was showing us the World Finance podcast on his phone and his favourite episodes. So, I, I mean, it's, it's so good to hear because sometimes... We forget. I mean, we know, but we forget that we actually have a reach, and there are so many people that are benefiting from hearing some of the conversations we're sharing. So, mm. yeah, big him up as well, man. Yeah, nah, definitely, definitely big definitely. him up, man. Big him up. Nah, for real, man. And it's just, yeah, it's encouraging. You just never know who's listening, who's being impacted, man. So, shout out to your guy, uh, yeah. Teng, as well. Yeah, so, Teng, just I guess coming back to you as well. I know you touched briefly about you know traveling as well, but good to hear just a bit more about yourself. You can share however comfortable you are including your full name as well. i didn't introduce your full name but um feel free to share how comfortable you are starting from i guess where you from you mentioned uh briefly and just a bit of your childhood and we can start getting into career wise as well after that okay so just um i'll kind of run through it quickly um i'll you know try to paint a, a picture for you know your audience and so on and for you guys as well jacks because you'll be probably the first time you're hearing it but yeah my my full name is um is tang yao deng um, but I just go by Tang Deng. Um, I'm from Sudan originally, uh, South Sudan specifically, uh, from a little town called Wul um, in like the Northeast region. So that's where I'm from. But just my story really is, um, obviously my family's from Sudan. And, you know, the reason why we eventually end up in the UK was the civil war in my country. Um, like I said, this could be a massive, it could, <laughs> it could be a massive podcast in itself. You know, we have natural resources over there. This is the same story that you hear consistently. The oil, you know, you have the minerals, the gold, the diamonds, and so on and so on. And that naturally itself causes problems within mm. countries, within African countries itself, as you guys have seen, you know, again and again and again, you know. So, again, um, just to give you a little bit, like I said, a little bit of a background. So, we're from Sudan. That conflict broke out, you know. This started in the early 80s, kept on going into the 90s. And we left, we migrated from where we're from, uh, our region, and we moved to the capital, which is a city called Khartoum um, in Sudan. And with my family, my mom, my dad, my brothers, my cousins, it was a mass migration. I'd probably say now, knowing, I didn't know how many people were moving at the time, but they estimated about three to four million left like this, the villages into the town. Wow. So obviously we go there and so on. It's, it's almost like we got completely uprooted. I was quite young at the time. <laughs> Um, maybe three, four, five mm. years old, and the violence was bad, man. Mm. It was really, really bad. You know, mm. it's you know, I'll like I'll let you guys, you know, um, allow your imaginations to Jeez, to wonder man. what happens at mm. war. Yeah, but it was there was so much collateral damage. Obviously, you know, family members passing away and so on and so on. Mm. Um, even myself, I still bear some of the physical scars mm. all over my body. You know, um, which I try to keep as hidden as possible. Mm. Um, but you know. 
and what they called collateral damage. Jeez. But anyway, just to kind of move forward from that, um, we instantly became refugees because obviously, you know, we, we don't have anything, but mm. we're able to leave from there and go to Egypt. Um, and Egypt is obviously like just the next country above us. And it was allowing refugees to come in because obviously, you know, the war and the conflict and the bombing and the violence and so on and so on. So we left and then we moved to Egypt and we spent maybe about three years in Egypt, mm. about three years. Um, and again, you're in Egypt as a, as a refugee because you don't know whether you're going to go back to your country. So it's a, it's a time of instability. Hmm. Um, so you're, you're kind of like, okay, do we go back? Are we going to move forward? Are we not? And, you know, you're seeing aid agencies everywhere, whether it's the Red Cross, whether it's the UNICEF, hmm. what is, um, you know, the Euro agencies, whatever it may be. And these people are now kind of trying to relocate people to different countries. So, mm. you know, some of us were, were, would go over to, to Jordan where we went for a short period of time, mm. spent maybe about, probably say about six months there. Mm. And then from there, we came back to Egypt basically because you know jordan at the time you know there were certain individuals i don't want to paint jordan as a bad place africans are really not welcome in some places in the middle okay. east unfortunately. Mm. and that's the reality to it you know you're seen as a second class citizen and you're not wanted because you're stretched on their natural resources which i don't mm. blame them to a certain extent yeah you know so back in egypt now after being deported and bounced back so Jeez. we're back there and again you know as a child and for my family you can imagine you know there's a shift in, in the languages you know so dinka is my first language which you speak in sudan and then Arabic, What's that? Say again. dinka dinka yeah, yeah, yeah which is yeah dinka i'm i'm from the dinka tribe yeah in, in south sudan and dinka is the language we speak and then from there you know you're translating and now you're having to learn arabic which is wow. a new language completely so you have hmm. to adapt to that you know, some of us get put in school, some of us didn't go to schools, and so on and so on. So you're having to adapt to a completely new culture, and you're having to really adapt really quickly because you don't know whether you're going back or mm. whether you're actually going to be there for a long term. Some people decided to set roots, but then the, the good thing is, like, when things got really bad in Egypt, especially, again, with racism, you, you, people are so surprised by this, but there's a very small... The Egyptian, the person you see on TV as an Egyptian, mm. they are actually the minority. Mm. And they're the minority and they are actually the majority in government. But if you see the masses, they're just, they're as black as me and, and you, Jacks. But mm. the media doesn't portray that, mm. you know, because of the location of where it is. You know, they have like over 120 million mm. population. I've, I can comfortably say 80 million of them are black people. Wow. Interesting. The media doesn't show that wow. at all. Yeah. You know? mm. So... But yeah, so now kind of fast forward a little bit, a uh, couple of years, um, you know, we got how the aid agencies work from my understanding is some people, you know, based on alphabetical order, you know, where your name stands or whatever, some got um, accepted by Canada. Some like okay. my mum, my mum had three sisters, four sisters that all went to Canada because mm. of where their name was in the alphabet. And then wow, yeah. so that's it. Because of what? Based on where you what alphabet. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. how families got that's separated. That's how families get separated. Oh. And it's not only just us like that. So they go there, some of my uncles, some <laughs> end up in Australia. Um, some end up in Scandinavian countries. These are the countries that accept man. You, you you only really hear about some of these things in the movies. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. But this is yeah, this I is was, real life. This is yeah, your yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. What does this mean? So that happens. And then what happens is the UK, they're very, they're kind of cunning in this way. Like mm. now as an adult, I understand it. The UK will only take in 
refugees where your father or mother had a profession that can value the British society. Uh, and that's why I think there's less than 10,000 Sudanese, maybe like 5,000 Sudanese people in the UK. So what they did was they sh- looked around mm. the refugee camps, who was a lawyer, who was a doctor, who's a politician, mm. who's a trade person, who could actually really benefit the country. Yeah. And then they, who, who, who could families. basically add to the economic system. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. And who can yeah. we tax a lot and so on. So luckily my dad, my dad's actually a surgeon. So my mm. dad was a doctor by profession. My mom was a teacher. So my dad being a surgeon had his own surgery and mm. whatever worked in, in, in Sudan, not as big as here in the UK, but it was a humble one, but yeah. he could provide to the UK economy. So <laughs> that's how we ended up in the UK, just because purely based on what my father's profession wow. is. Otherwise, you know, a, a big population could have gone right back. I could have been one of the group that's gone back to Sudan mm-hmm. and yeah. in the conflict. Um, but sorry, I just missed that one bit as well. So even though we came north, migrated north, so people that know the history of Africa, we migrated north, but it was a big population that went to Kenya, some went mm. to Uganda, some went to Ethiopia, some went mm. to Rwanda, and then some went as far as South Africa. They just kept on deep, te- going deeper into Africa. They just didn't want to go north mm. because of the circumstances or dam- uh, the uh, demographics of where they were at the time, right? Yeah. Um, so we have a huge population in, in Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia. So we've been mixed in with them for the last 20, 30 years. Wow. And the same thing, now we have a huge population in, in the United States, in Canada, and in Australia, that's where our big populations are. And in, in the UK, there's not that many. Wow. In Europe, there isn't yeah, that many of us. Like five there's like less of between five to ten thousand. That's wow. what I'm estimating anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of us are in London. And if you look at everybody in London, somebody, either their dad or mom, had a profession that could add to the UK. That's so interesting. I, I I mean, I only know one person who's Sudanese. Well, I think yeah, he's right, even yeah. half. Pardon? Um, I think he's half Sudanese and half Malawian. Um, okay, okay. And and he yeah, he works in, in my industry. Okay, okay. Wow. Uh, yeah, so, that's cool. So that means you've basically got family all over. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got family all over. I've got family in Australia, like immediate family as well, in Australia, yeah. in Canada, in the US, in Europe, and in like Eastern Africa. Yeah. When, obviously, this is going through most of your childhood, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's going through your mind? Are you even clocking? Are you really, un- are you actually understanding like what's happening? Or are Survival. you just like, just okay. Shut up and survive. Because yeah. what you do, if, People are really people don't under people don't kind of underestimate kids mm. from the earliest ages three four five six like you kids are smart they mm. clock on really mm. quickly so you know you shut up you deal with it mm. you move forward mm. and and boys and girls especially in Africa in Africa in generally yeah and I'd probably say probably in the Middle East you're treated there's a different hierarchy to how okay. you're treated yeah. and there's certain expectations on you hundred yeah. percent. So now I'm seeing how my, my brothers and some of my cousins and uncles, how they're treated, how they're expected to conduct themselves in society. Yeah. As a young boy, naturally I'm following suit. Shut everything off and you just drive forward and basically it's just get the results done. That's it. Don't Yeah, just, wow. just, just live and direct. Yeah, that's it. Wow. So that's how it, I kind of survived pretty much as a kid all the way through that, hmm. you know, because I just kind of followed suit and adapted it and just became assertive. And it is what it is, you know. Hmm. I never cried about anything. Things go wrong. Is what it is. You know, life is unfair. Just deal with it. Move yeah. forward. Because so it's the process. Any of it. Yeah. Is it because it, it just becomes a norm, right? Yeah, it, it becomes a norm. A norm. It's, it's your circumstance. Yeah. War becomes a norm. Poverty becomes a norm. Lack mm. of resources become a norm. So then, what happens is now your objective is just to basically survive and it's self-preservation hmm. to stay alive. Your biggest target when you're going through that 
as your, as parents is to stay alive, keep your kids alive, keep them safe. So people almost become one track minded and they're willing to do anything, anything and anything in order to keep their families alive. That's it. Jeez, man. Wow. Jeez, man. Wow. That is, yeah. I mean, Jax, I don't know about you, man. Obviously, we talk about struggles from childhood. I mean, we've obviously been through it relatively in the UK, but when you hear stuff like this, it just puts things into perspective, man. Well, you realise there's levels to this. There's, there's, there's levels, there's really, isn't levels. there? <laughs> there's really levels to this. So, you know, yeah. like, you, we, we never use someone else's struggle as, as a way to be thankful, but it does remind you that we are privileged and, and we should be yeah. very, very, very grateful for the yeah. opportunities and, and the kind of life you've had. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Jack, you was, I mean, say, Tang, you was mentioning like, you know, just getting on with it. And then you mentioned things like survival, self-preservation and, and really just being focused on that survival mode. Yeah. And I know we'll talk a bit more about your career journey, but from everything, those key words, from what I know of you, those are things that you've pretty much taken through to propel you in your career, essentially. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, hmm. absolutely. So yeah, so now Jack, the journey hasn't finished. So we've left, uh, hmm. like I said, you know, family is scattered everywhere. You know, my mum's in a new country. This place is freezing. And where at least when we're in Egypt, we were, we're family members. So the mm. support system amongst yourself and so on. But now we land in the UK. And actually my father left first. My father left before because he was a career professional. Okay, so yeah. he was here about a year and a half before I settled in and so on. And then we came to the UK. And how old are you around this time? Um, probably around seven, seven, seven or yeah, eight. Yeah, seven yeah. or mm. eight when we get to the UK. Um, so we've come um my mum's brother as well he's a politician he comes a little bit early and he's mm. he's placed in south london and my mom my dad is based in north london so anyway we get to the uk it was me and my older brother at the time a, cu a couple of my cousins we came together you know mm. uh, as a group as the first group of uh, refugees but then our journey in the uk was at the beginning was crazy because mm. The first place they put you when you arrive here, they put you in a hostel, right? Mm. And our hostel was in King's Cross. So any of you guys that have any idea that old enough to understand what King's Cross used to be like back in the day, King's Cross wasn't nice King's Cross. This place was full of crime, poverty, there was prostitution. So where we actually lived was um, like literally, it was one of those houses, like a bedsit. So you have your living room, everything all in one place. And the only mm. thing that was separate was the bathroom. So it was wow. my mom, my dad, my brother and me in that room and one of my cousins. Wow. So that's the environment you live in. And because you're at mercy of the government, you're, you only go where they tell you. So yeah. now mm -hmm. you're there for a short period of time, they realize, okay, these people, there's kids there, we've got to move them in that environment, there's prostitution, there's all kinds of stuff going mm. on mm. in that environment. And my mom is not really clocking on, but my dad is, he's yeah. like, this is not right. So mm -hmm. anyway, after a couple months, they move us from there and they move us to Graham Park, which is in Northwest London, Collindale area. Now it's called yeah. Collindale Gardens. Again, <laughs> that place, it's not the best place to raise a family. You know, again, crime rate. And they started moving a lot of refugees there because we came, Sudanese came, the Somalis came, the Congolese came, mm. the Rwandans came. Mm. So a lot of people where there's conflict, put them all in the same boat. And these people, these people are messed up. These people have seen war. Some of them yeah. are sold child, um, child soldiers, whatever. And then they start doing craziness. Some of them mm. start jumping on the road and then violence and so on and so on. Mm. So it's not exactly the best environment to go. Lo 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 in one place. In one place. Yeah. yeah. Lots of people that have experienced so many traumatic experiences. Yeah, it's, 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 it's tough. It's PTSD. And that's yeah. what happens, you know. So as a kid, you're still seeing this. So again, six months there, six months there. Mm. Again, now we're in Grand Park for about six, seven months. 
And then from there, they move off from Graham Park. Then they move us to a place called Queen's Crescent in uh, Camden Town. Yeah, North So yeah. Uh, it's still Northwest London, but it's on the border of Northwest, North London. Mm. So we, again, we were there. We lived there for what? Maybe about, I'd probably say about four years, maybe okay. three or four. No, probably like three years. And again, Queen's Crescent, for those that know Queen's Crescent, there's, it's, it's a weird place. It's near Hampstead, which is extremely wealthy, like, like houses at five, six million pounds. But then this little pocket of Camden is extreme poverty mm. again. And the people that put, were put there were the ones that were maybe either rejected from other boroughs mm. and then they're brought into that region. So we were part of that. So again, we're moving again, right? <sighs> so we're moving again. Now we spent a couple of years in King's Cross, but we don't know what's going on at this time. You're just kind of following your mom, your dad, whatever. And luckily my dad gets a job at Royal Free Hospital, which mm. is in the area. And that's one of the reasons why we're accommodated there. Mm. So anyway, at that point, it's kind of like the first time now I step foot in primary school, by the way. This is where my education journey starts. All the way wow. through from my journey from birth to this point, I didn't go to school. Wow. Wait, wait. So you're just, you're literally starting like school education. at the yeah. age of like seven, eight. Probably around the ages of eight, maybe. Yeah. Right Jeez. Where, where, so where like, some of us like were starting. This is coming towards it, like the end of, towards Year four, yeah, end four, of year okay. four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah. like eight, nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. nine-ish. Yeah, that's yeah. when I, you know, kind of first step foot into, you know, the education system. Wow. But again, it was a difficulty because English wasn't my first language. We didn't mm. speak at home. My mom didn't speak English. My mom still speaks Dinka and Arabic at home. My dad spoke English, but obviously, you know, we've got to kind of fight that battle in itself. Yeah. So you're dealing with all of these moving parts. And it's like, now they're saying, okay, well, you got to learn algebra. Now I spent a year and then the, now you're doing year six. Now you get ready for secondary school yeah, and you're geez. still learning the language. Yeah. So that was a challenge in itself. Hmm. You know, that was a complete, complete new challenge. In That's itself. a major challenge. Yeah. Whoa, you know, yeah. and the school didn't know. And as Africans, we hide where Africans are the professional hiders of things, yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the truth. Whether it's an illness in the family, yeah. if it's something or something's happened bad, we don't like to, to talk about it yeah. because we're afraid of our honor or who, what are people in church are going to think or yeah. what, are, what people at home are going to think of our kids and stuff. Mm. Sometimes you talk about it, man, because otherwise then it just swallows you up. That's what you mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 100%. And that's across the continent from what I see, not only with our region, but mm. also with Ghanaians. I've, I've noticed that, you know, as well, Jax, with people within your community. Yeah. So anyway, kind of fast forward. Um, hmm. we, and then we fast forward a little bit, a couple of years. Go I was going to say, on that, you know, going... Just going to, because I say you say you had to pretty much hide your identity, like your history essentially, or that was drilled into you. When you're going into a new school, yeah, you're obviously got lots of kids, but a lot of kids, whatever color, sure. yeah, I, I was gonna say sure. whatever color they are, yeah, like yeah. black, white, whatever. There, a lot of them will be from here, from UK. How yeah, was yeah. it like adjusting? Well, I was, that, I, yeah. I almost felt like an outcast because yeah. the Africans that were here didn't accept me because I was yeah, new. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, they are your freshie, your, your yeah, new, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you're new. The English <laughs> people didn't accept you. So the only people that ended up getting along with were the Irish. Wow. The Irish mm. were the Irish. Okay. Yeah, the Irish, yeah, the Irish yeah. were the only ones that really yeah. fully accepted yeah. me. So a lot of my friends were Irish because wow. they were That's so interesting. Society. Yeah, they're excluded from of society. Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. my own, my thing that hurt me the most is my own people that like, you know, other Africans, they kind of dismiss you like they mm. did, you know. And one of the things is from early, the Irish kind of really taught me was, bro, you're here, 
you're surviving, get the most out of this place. And the only thing that these people in your school, whether whether they're other Africans, and they used to tell me, they're not your kind, we're your kind. Okay. Because our experience and your experience are the same. Yeah, yeah. We're facing yeah. the same problems. These people mm, are yeah. born here, they've uh, adapted to society, yeah. they're integrated yeah. into the system, yeah. and so on. And that kind of hurt me a little bit. Do you so know what? Naturally, naturally, you start sticking around with the African kids that have come from, let's say, war-torn countries and yeah, the Irish yeah. and stuff like that, and they, they become your friends. Yeah. And then when, what happens is, the school starts to label you as, oh, we're, course, yeah. we're problem kids, yeah, you're such yeah. and such. But we're just trying to survive and try yeah. to be accepted into society. And nobody understands what we're going through as a group of people. So the only thing is that as kids, the only thing that other kids respect is violence. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. So naturally, yeah. you become violent. Oh, yeah. and then, such, then they respect you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's it's so interesting. So, um, I actually was born in Ghana, and I came I came here when I was when I was uh five years old, yeah, or yeah. four years old, one yeah. of those. Um, so some of the ex- things you're exper- you're you're describing, I actually remember experiencing even at that yeah. at that age. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm Ghanaian, but I've got I've got you know a, a French name. Um, okay. so when people used to ask me where I'm from, I was actually embarrassed to say I was Ghanaian. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was just saying, oh, I'm like French. You're Congolese French. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I just used to say I'm French. Bro. I was like, you might be Congolese French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, it's interesting you you, you mentioned that because you know it, I actually very much remember, particularly in primary school and secondary school, that it was actually the people that you know you, you want to be friends with because yeah. they look like you yeah, yeah. but they're the ones who actually want to bully you yeah right? they, they want to call you fresh off the boat you're freshy yeah. you, you're blick you're this you're that yeah, yeah and absolutely. it's so hurtful and it's actually very traumatizing yeah hmm. yeah absolutely so naturally huh. so naturally now is you withdraw from that and again like people are like oh how can you always hang around and the thing is these irish boys had my back fully wow. fully the families accepted me integrated me so me I grew up with them. Yeah, those yeah, were my kind. Yeah, and people never understood it. Mm. People never understood it, but that's the reason because mm. they came roughly the same time, and we're put in horrible situations. My mum became friends with them, and so on. It's not that we didn't like our people; it's the kids didn't uh, didn't didn't accept us yeah, as what yeah, it was. Yeah. So now, fast forward, you know, primary school's finished. Now we go to secondary school. So as I get to year seven, right, we move to Finchley. So this is another experience as well, like a, a crazy experience. So this is now where my mom actually lives. So we moved to East Finchley and we moved to a, a small estate called Strawberry Vale, which is next to, it's just off the A406. Mm. But again, it's similar to Camden. East Finchley, like by the train station, has some of the most wealthiest places, mm. houses and mm. properties and people like that live there. Yeah. But then you go a couple miles up. That's how London is. London is so, like wealth and poverty. Yeah, yeah. live right next to each mass. other. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. So again, we we now move there. My brother's there. Some of my cousins are living with us and so on and so on. So now you go to secondary school. And again, the education system is still difficult. It's still difficult for mm. me because all the stuff you've learned from when you're young to now, I'm struggling with. I'm trying to catch up. Yeah. But... I knew things that adult, like I could read people, you know what I mean? My human interaction with people mm. was 100%. My yeah. alertness was 100%. Mm. I'm now learning a third language. Mm. So I'm not stupid, mm. you know what I mean? Mm. But academically, you know, your label, unable to, but at the age of 10, I speak three languages. Yeah. I've lived in multiple countries. And my 26 or 27 year old teacher who lives in Stevenage is telling me I'm, I'm able to do certain things. 
No, that's not true. I'm not, actually more yeah. intelligent than you are. You just, but you just don't understand. Yeah, you just don't yeah. understand what, you know, you haven't seen this or experienced yeah, this yeah, before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, yeah, so that was, a, you know, that was a really, really interesting, you know, journey for myself. Mm. And again, to, you know, again, this is like maybe the fourth time we've moved. And mm. this this time, they call it permanent accommodation when you're, because uh, at that time we're asylum seekers and we're refugee status and so on. For those of you guys that were aware of it, you know, we finally, I think we've been here for like five years. So they gave us asylum, asylum seekers or status. So now we gave us our permanent accommodation. And this time, my younger sister, my younger brother are now born. And we now live in this place in East Finchley called Strawberry Vale, right? Mm. And my school, actually, my secondary school, um, is not too far away from from because obviously just the the, the demographic, um, what's it called, the geographic location yeah. or where it is, right? Um, so now I'm I'm going to a new school and the same thing, same adaptation because mm. it's you know how secondary school can be. Oh, secondary, secondary school is techie, crazy, <laughs> crazy. So naturally, you're like, all right, cool. I've just come back from primary school. I've only just started to kind of really make friends. Now the battle begins in, in secondary school. So mm. I'm dealing with the same headache. Mm. Year seven, year eight, year nine. I'm sl- sl- slowly starting to get integrated into the UK system and mm. how things work academically and stuff. But I can't tell my mom. My mom doesn't speak English and she did her education in Arabic. Wow. So what? How could, she can't help so me. So you're getting help from. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And for, you know, my dad was a doctor. It might sound like, oh yeah, we had a great life. No, like he made money, got taxed crazy. And he was a sole provider for not only for my family, but also for families. Everyone. Yeah, of Everyone. Course, of course. Everyone. And like he's working like tw- crazy hours. Bro, yeah. NHS. I'm yeah, not going to lie to you. Yeah. As a child of somebody that works in the NHS, if your mom's a nurse or a doctor or just anything within mm. the NHS, they work them to the bone. That's why they yeah, make mistakes. Yeah. My, my, my wife's my wife's mom is actually just retiring. She, she actually works for the so NHS. Yeah. Yeah. Well, does she share the same views, Jack? Yeah, she she works super hard, super it's super yeah, hard. Like, and she's a hard worker. Every time I speak yeah. to her, she's like, "Jack, I'm tired." I'm like, "Yo, yeah, it's time so to right. retire," you know. So she's actually yeah. retiring as we speak. Yeah. Wow. So again, like you know, this is the insight that I have because yeah, the guy's yeah, tired. Yeah. He comes back, whatever. You can't even really spend your money, and you're just basically you're just you're kind of on a hamster wheel. You yeah. know what I mean? So and you don't have anything at the end of it. So eventually, naturally, a dad's like, you know what? Let years down the line, pieces come. I'm bouncing. I'm going back to my home country. Hmm. I'm going to go back to set something up and have a little bit more work-life balance, mm. if that makes sense, right? Um, so, yeah, that's, you know, fast forward. That's kind of where we're at now, you know. So now we finished secondary school, 15, 16, and so on. You know, that's kind of really just, I know we, we've gone the long way around. That was kind of my journey now, gone through the secondary school up to, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Mm. And even during there, the, the, the headache was crazy. Mm. Just final thing before yeah, we, we, no, we get fine. to that is the area that they put us in, they put my family, another Congolese family, two Somali families, another family from um, from Ivory Coast there. Five black families. Mm. And they put us in an estate where it was a National Front headquarters. Okay. Those it's, of you guys yeah. don't understand wow. what National Front wow. is a group of people that it's almost... it's. They share the views of the Nazis where they yeah. feel like, you know, like um, the, there's a, a, the white race is the pure race. And they weren't only racist to, to Africans. I've got to make this clear. They were racist to other English people yeah, yeah. that, you know, that were absolutely innocent. They were racist to Indians, the Chinese, hmm. anybody that they didn't see as pure white race, they hmm. were absolutely racist to. 
and the havoc that they caused Jeez. was unbelievable. Wow. Like these were grown men in their twenties, and um, you know, like I said, they their nickname was NF National Front, mm. and you know the stuff that they did to families and the terrorism was Jeez. crazy. And these people, it's not like they got nine to five. Yeah. They're criminals. Yeah, mm. so they're free all day. They're free all day. Nonsense. They cause problems. Yeah. So nine, nine to five criminals. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So like me, I had run-ins with them. I'm not gonna lie. I got yeah. beat up by a couple. Yeah, of them. yeah, of course. Mm. A couple mm. of times. You know what mm. I mean? You know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna tell you the truth. I've been punched in the face by them. These yeah. people grab you, grab they'll drag you by your feet. Why are you playing football? This, this, this. They're Get big men as They're well. grown men. Oh, you got to remember, we're 13, 14, 15. And these mm. people are 27, 28, 29. And they give this to kids. And again, I wasn't exclusive to this. Yeah. Every other race had this problem. The mm. Norwegian kids had this problem. Wow. They're white. Look, just like them. But mm. they had the same issue. So wow. again, I had to fight that battle too. I'm leaving school. I'm dealing with that issue. Then I'm coming back home, dealing mm. that issue. Then I'm going home. As soon as we close that door, we're in Sudan. Yeah. So that's my place of peace. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's my place of peace. That's the only yo, place of peace. Bro. I was about to say, in, in this life of yours, where do you find peace? That like, was the only place. Yo. Because I went home, we spoke my language. Yeah. And then every holiday, I'd go to South London. You know, some of my cousins were like in, you know, like North Junction area. Mm. And some of my cousins were in Camden. So those were the places I found peace because I spoke my own language as I got a little bit older, 15, 16. All the people I hang around with were only my own kind, my mm. South Sudanese or Sudanese people. Mm. And I kind of excluded everybody else because all the Africans rejected me, the Irish are still cool with, and the rest of the world just excluded you. Mm. So you feel like you're absolutely nothing. So naturally, you've got to find a niche, right? Mm. You've got to find a way to be accepted in life. It's either you're good at something mm. and people respect that, or you're a violent person, which mm. some people chose. And that ends up in uh, the prison system or mm. you die or deportation because mm. a lot of these people were still not, you know, British citizens. Of you're, course. Yeah. You're, you're in the country because the country has welcomed you in. But if you do anything bad, they're deporting you and your whole family. Of course. And I've yeah. seen that with a lot of Somali families yeah. where the son will do something crazy and he's, he's on the road, he's on the streets, he's doing crazy stuff just to provide for his family because he doesn't know any other way. But then he gets in trouble, gets arrested, goes to jail, his whole family five or six of family members get deported back to mm, where they've just come from, mm, which sets them back mm, still massively. Happening today, but and it but still yeah. happens consistently. Mm. So again, that just paints a picture of the environment that I grew up in. Um, but again, the one thing that, that we will move on to is, you know, the football side of things, which I became really good at, you know. And you, you, you just touched on this. You said yeah. two things. One is when you look at everything that you've gone through your first 16, 17 years or so, there's two things. One, you literally go to violence yeah, yeah. or you become good at something. Yeah, and yeah. This is what it or you become like. smart. Or you become, or you become smart. Yeah, yeah, educatedly yeah. smart. Wow. Those are the only hey, 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 hey. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so fascinating because even though obviously like uh, I would say my personal journey or other people that I know might not be as 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 uh, <laughs> aggressive as yours. Yeah, it, it always it always boils down to the same thing, right? Yeah. Like you've just said it. Like it's, it's either you're you're smart or you're good at something or you're violent, so people just naturally have to respect you out of fear. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. You know, uh, and I want to think about my journey. Time. Yeah, I want to think about my journey. It was like, gosh, I need to use it. I, I need to be smart. Yeah, right. Yeah, because because yeah. I was book smart, I was like, okay, yeah. that's 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 my way out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. You, you absolutely. know, you know, it's mad though. Saying everything you've been saying, your first seven years or so in like in Africa and yeah. all around, that just seems like a complete world that many people, your average everyday person, unless they went through that journey, wouldn't yeah. be able to relate. Like it's a, it seems like a complete another world. But then you think, by the time you came here to the UK, 
you can start to relate, but it seems like it stayed like a complete different world for you. It was a struggle. Yeah, it was a struggle. It was a complete struggle. You're supposed to be now in a place of refuge and you're supposed to be in a place of peace in a country where it is peaceful, but all the environments that you're put in are full of tension, stress. They're full of poverty. They're full of alcoholism. They're full of crime. They're full of all this stuff. And, And to be honest with you, all these people that are causing this havoc are people that most of these guys that were born here yeah. and really they're doing it for clout yeah. or they're doing it just to be famous. Mm. Those of us that have experienced that, brother, we hate it. I'm hmm. not going to lie. Until today, I hate drill music. Of course. Yeah, yeah I understand. I, I understand. hate drill music. Yeah, 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 yeah. People are like, oh, why do you... Brother, I hate it yeah, because yeah, what yeah. it represents is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a Same. small group of us that have grown up in that and you see all these... Neg- there's nothing good about there's it. There's nothing positive that nothing comes out of that. Absolutely nothing. Nothing good about it. Yeah. And it sells so people continue to do it yeah. and then they make loads of money on yeah. that. And anybody who's in that environment that makes money moves. Yeah. You yeah. can't stay in it. 100. You yeah. can't stay in it. You even got mental health problems, PTSD. Yeah. The prison system is right there. Mm. You've yep. got the, the death route. You've mm. got mental health illness. People mm. go mad. Paranoia. Absolutely. Paranoia. The, yeah. the list is endless. Hmm. Yeah. So, and again, this does, you don't have to grow up in a, a place where it's extremely bad or, or known area. Mm. This happens in good, good environments or, course, or nice yeah. neighborhoods as yeah. well. Yeah. Because as ethnics, you are dealing with these issues consistently. Mm. So, I think, you know, again, when I hear it, sometimes I switch it off. Yeah, you know? yeah from bro. time, and, and people understand. don't, people, and when I hear people talking about it, I switch off from it. Yeah, yeah, because I'm yeah, like, same, talking same. about a life that, like, you don't have any idea about. But that's about. the thing, it's people, if you're not involved in that, it feels entertaining yeah. and people are fascinated. Oh, absolutely. Like, listen, man, you got to realise what you're fascinating over is people literally dying. Yeah. People's real life, life, you know. Yeah, people's real life. Yeah. And it's, it's not nice, man. Mm. It's not nice. So, mm. Obviously, I see the entertainers, they're doing what they're doing. Fair enough, you know, you're yeah, making yeah, your money yeah, from yeah. it. But there's nothing, like, there's nothing... Glorious, there's there's nothing, nothing glamorous about it. it. There's nothing positive about it, you mm. know, so... Nah, nah but yeah. Teng, man, that's that's proper deep, man. Mm. And I know for our listeners as well, man, they'll have lots of questions, thoughts and feelings at this time, man. Mm. Teng, obviously, you're a close friend of mine as well, so we don't, you know, hope that this is the only episode you're on. But for any of our listeners, you know, mm. if you've got any sort of comments we're going to continue obviously but if you've got any comments thoughts or questions just in general yeah. um feel free to just send them through man you got our details as well man we'll make sure yeah. we get back to you on that one as well but so Tang, you've gone through all of this journey now yeah. and as you said one of one of the ways out is becoming good at something yeah absolutely um as i'm assuming that's where sort of football comes in yeah yeah um tell us a bit more about how that kind of came about so it was just, just like most kids, obviously, like, obviously my aspiration was, you know, to play football for a living. That was, that was kind of, you know, once I got a little bit of a taste of it, obviously it starts off with, you know, playing in a playground and, you know, playing with your friends and mm. the local thing. Who did with, you support from that? Um, to be fair, I was kind of like, my household was kind of split between Arsenal and Tottenham. Because my dad, what? Yeah, it's weird. That's conflict. My, my dad, my dad supported Spurs. Yeah. Because like the guys that he worked with in the the guys that he worked with at the hospital, these guys were like you know Spurs uh, Spurs fans, and some of the doctors he worked with, they had like season tickets, so they introduced okay. him, okay. Like, yeah. and they took him to a Spurs game and so on and so on. Mm. You know, all right, great. And then my mom supported Arsenal because the only team that had African players in it at the time. Yeah. At the time when there was Patrick Vieira, she's oh, looking yeah. at a team. Cardi. Like, Cardi. Yeah. Like, you know, there's so, yeah, yeah Laurent. So th- th- that's the only reason 
Mm. That's the only mm. choice. So like, you know what? <laughs> you know what? These are these are like our cousins and uncles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's support them lot. Yeah. And Henri yeah. was yeah. doing bits. Yeah. And yeah. the whole of the Premier League was pretty much, it was quite white, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Arsenal was really the, the adopter. These guys were coming <laughs> from France and so on. So naturally, we're like, all right, cool. My brother supported Arsenal. Yeah. We supported Arsenal. And then like some of my cousins supported it. And that's kind of how we got drawn into you know, wow. support yeah. supporting Arsenal. <laughs> but just to go back to your your thing, so obviously, like I said, you know, it was football. Then played for the school team. Then played for the county. I don't think they do that anymore. And then through there, got scouted by a, a, an academy and joined an academy at the age of like seven. Uh, sorry, the age in year seven, year eight. Mm. And then I stayed with that academy all the way through till um, nineteen. Okay, nineteen. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was Charlton Athletic actually that I I I played for. So joined their academy. All the way through, all the way up to like scholarship stage, and then after that moved on, which we'll touch on to that later on. But that's kind of how I got onto it, and and also I think what helped was my school teacher, my actual P teacher mm. was actual was a youth team coach. I think under elevens, under twelves at Barnet Football Club. Okay, so he was like into football. So a lot of our players and guys that were in the school were getting scouted consistently because he had the connects, but at the time we didn't know. Mm. So we had guys that maybe at Leighton Orient, we had like three or four at Spurs, we had one or two at Tottenham. So, and we would go to these tournaments because we had so many like high skilled, I guess, players. Mm. We got invited to a lot of tournaments and we did really well as, as, a, as a year group, if that makes sense. So that's kind of, that was the advantage. That just happened to be we got somebody, if it was anybody else who's a regular PE teacher, maybe I wouldn't have pursued that as much as possible. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, like I had brothers and cousins that played basketball, but this was, I was like, you know what, this thing is, this thing might work out. Let mm. me, let me give, give a crack at it. And then, and then once you sign to Academy, you know, the school finds out, some of your friends find out and then instantly you start getting respect. Okay. Overnight fame, yeah. Yeah, you get respect. <laughs> that feeling is amazing it's wow. ah. amazing so you are king immediately you are king in your estate you are the king around the area you're the king in your oh, community boy. you're the king and you are the man because your pathway is almost kind of set out for you if that wow. makes sense yeah, yeah you know what yeah. i mean and in that environment again there's not that many that were in the academy system i think there's probably like that I know of, probably like six or seven. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's ruthless in that environment, as we'll come on to it later on. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that was my thing of, that's the thing that got me respect immediately. Mine was a mixture of three. The mm. violence bit, I kind of dabbled here and there because yeah, I kind yeah. of had to res um, protect myself. I'm more of a reserved person. And then the knowledge bit was more of the the reading. I was heavy on the reading, Jax. Really, really heavy on the reading. Mm. I wanted to read everything and everything I knew. Because academically, I struggled. So I thought, you know what? Let me read, 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 read. Everything. And, it's, and it's, so, so is, that, is that around secondary school times? It's around secondary school. This is around okay. like year 10 time. Year 10, year 11. You know, there's these book clubs that are going on, struggling mm. in, in the other classes. So I said, you know what? Let me go to these book clubs and see what's going on. And then, yeah. then they say, you know what? Read what, what you find interesting. Yes. So the histories, the geographies, the religions. So, and then, and then, then you become an avid reader. And then now you can expand and explore your knowledge and go into other things. And so, yeah, yeah. My grades yeah. weren't great, but yeah. you know what I mean? That side of things, I started to know so much more of the, the world and, you know, develop my, my academic that way. Yeah. So, and those yeah. were the things that kind of propelled me a little bit more forward and gave mm. me the respect, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Wow. Wow. That is actually deep, man. I love it. We'll touch a bit more on, on the academy side of things, but in terms of your uh, 
what's your views on like okay because we've all got youngers and friends and stuff yeah. that are interested in sports yeah, it doesn't yeah. have to be football um and jacks me and you obviously went same secondary school everyone wanted to be a footballer as well mm-hmm. but i'm mean, we always hear stories about you know only like six percent end up becoming football 100%. but this yeah one percent low even yeah. much lower now one percent and but there's so much more that you get out of it than even if you don't become i don't know a professional but what's your views on academies in general i guess so just to add to that, actually, I'm actually still involved in football. So yes, I actually I work at Peterborough Football Club. So I'm I'm one of the academy coaches over there at yeah. the moment. So my view on it, there's a there's a slight disadvantage to academy football, which the rest of the society or population don't understand. Mm. So what happens generally at these academies, you know, even at Peterborough, you have pre-academy, which is like ages of four, five, six. And this is all over these academies like Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, yeah. whatever, whatever. Where the kids, you can almost sign them up, drop them off. Yeah. And they kind of develop as yeah. a group. So if your kid's mm. four, he's now in a pre-academy. They don't get released. They train twice a week, whatever. Now they're being trained by professional coaches. But usually are people that are in the game that have kids or family friends that can yeah. direct them that way. Okay. So you got to think now. They're doing that four, five, six, seven. And then now they're starting at under eight. That's okay. when they start signing players. Yeah. So if you've done that for four years, yeah. now you've got the leg up. Yeah, you're going to be better than then, some of you guys. Yeah. So it's yeah. not, I, me personally, I don't think it's a, a talent thing to a certain yeah. extent. It becomes a talent thing when you get to 12, 13, 14, mm. 15, right? So you go through that process. And then now you now th- they're going to choose from the pool of what they see consistently. Mm. So it's outside, out of mind. They're not going to mm. go looking. This is what they've got. They're going to choose from that. Most of the dads are professionals, uncles, whatever, whatever, and so on and so on. So naturally, that's where the black community is at a disadvantage. Okay. In the early mm. days. Now it's changing because we've got all people in the community that yeah. part yeah. of the game yeah. and so on. Yeah. So now yeah. generally, yeah, like myself. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few friends as well, yeah. Yeah, so now what happens is, you know, the, the, the dynamics start shifting. You go to 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and then at that point, they start scouting, going to these places like Hackney Marshes and wherever, if it's South Hackney London, Marshes, if it's uh, Barnet, wherever it may be, to recruit. You know what mm. I mean? And then once they start recruiting, they bring them into academy. But then what happens is the kids will go there, they'll do well, but the travel schedule in academy football is ridiculous. Okay. If you live in London, you got your dad or mum has got to be rich enough to be able to drive you from, let's say, London to Coventry for a nine o'clock kickoff that means you're leaving at 6 a.m. Yeah. and then the games might be on a Friday. Yeah. And then you gotta pay. You're paying all of this stuff okay. till the age of 14, 15. Yeah. So mm-hmm. if you're an African parent now and there's mum's working, dad's working, yeah. there's three of you, who's taking you to Exeter? Who's taking you to Please? Yeah. Yeah. Who's taking you to Brighton? Who's yeah. taking you to Manchester? This is unrealistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. naturally, you've got a group of people that drop out of just course. because of that limitation. Of course. Yeah. It becomes a rich people thing. Really, yeah. it's who can afford it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's Ooh. how academy football is right now. Mm. Where the leveling ground happens is when you're 15, 16, 17, 18, where now you're um you start traveling by bus. Yeah. And uh, clubs provide accommodation. Yeah. And then now that's where you see an influx of ethnic minorities blacks okay. asians and so on and so on because they can now compete wow so the drop off now all those kids that start at four if they're not resilient enough mentally and physically to be able to deal with it they just quit of because course. now they're fighting with a bunch of people that have come from my background yeah that i don't want to be in that environment yeah. i want to change my life and now i'm hungry for that yeah. if i'm hungry for that i'm taking somebody's place unfortunately yeah. and then what happens the privileged kids 
drop off. Mm. Some of them excel, but 89%, you know, drop off mm. because mm. they can't handle the pressure, unfortunately. Ooh. That's yeah. actually, no. and that's that's what happened and then obviously the same thing at 16 to 18 or 16 to 19 you become you get a scholarship or you get a one-year pro and now you're playing under 17s under 19s under 80s under 21s football yeah. and that is you know now you're playing for money so now you must deliver mm-hmm. you must deliver consistently if you don't there's somebody who will come from a, a higher club or a lower club or sign will take your position so now yeah. it's a mental thing it's not no longer a physical thing at an yeah. age is can I sustain mentally to be able wow. to, to wow. move this? And then as you get to the pros, now you, you're paid a salary, but you do what you want. Huh. Mm. You deliver, we pay you. And then how you take care of your body, that's your problem. How you yeah. do everything else is yeah. your problem. You will take care of the training session, whatever. But at that point, they assume that the academy or whatever club you've come from has done all that work for you. Yeah, but yeah, if you came yeah. in at 16 and now you're at 2021, 20, how would you have been able to build that discipline? You can't. <laughs> And we have the other side of it. Your parents are pressuring you for the education mm. because you've got to do that. But now the good thing is academies are combining education with the football, yeah, which does yeah. help. But it was a time where you are just a cow, you're a commodity. There's a stamp that's put on you and it's a survivor of the fittest. That's it. You're wow. with your friends for six years. Next thing is, it's only you and six of your boys are gone. Uh-huh. Now you've got, now you've got Mohammed from Algeria, who's your teammate, can't speak to you. Yeah. This is my experience. Now you got my man from France, Pierre coming from France, Black yeah. Brother from Congo. He's now on your teammate. You got a guy from, you got Sven from Norway. Yeah. He's part of the academy system, and you guys yeah. are all living in the same same digs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We yeah. can't communicate, but yeah. the objective is the same. But they all mm. play for their national teams. Wow. They're ballers. They're all ballers. <laughs> Not good as well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. now it's okay. It's a completely new new ball game. Now. That is, yeah. So your competition so is completely now. You're not only competing with the London boys, UK boys. 16 to 19, you're completing, you're competing with everybody in the world because everybody wants Premier League money. Of course, of course. Jeez. Wow. Jeez. That and again, that was my experience. Yeah, yeah, I'm telling you, because <laughs> um, these are these are real people, by the way. That I, I, I grew up with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These were real people. And then yeah. you got now, now your eyes are open. You got people from South London. Yeah. Oh, these I don't know what they feed them in South London. These yeah. guys are excellent players, man. Mm. But again, it's you know, then you got East London, now you got yeah. West, then North. Now you're still competing with them. And then, and then now you now they're only gonna offer three or four of you guys a professional contract. Wow, jeez, man, that is mad. That is mad. And just like um, it's good really just to hear that insight. And we will definitely touch on a bit later, just in yeah. terms of academy stuff. But it's really good to just hear that insight, um, <clears throat> insight in that regarding sort of working your way up from young and the disadvantages that different communities can have have as well, which it sounds massive and just makes a lot of sense as well. But we don't think about that stuff. If you look at a footballer today, we don't think about what that person must have got. Particular types of footballer would have gone through to get where that person is today. Um, Jack, so you obviously didn't become a football, but it had nothing to do with that, right? It was more so your talent, isn't it? He has fired shots. Jack, take no guys fired shots. Hey, this is my brother-in-law. This, <laughs> hey, Jack, it's two against one. Is it, Nigerians is have this this thing of of <laughs> bullying. <laughs> Yeah, first and foremost, don't worry. First and foremost, I'm a brilliant footballer, and I still am. And I think we found out um, when I met you, Teng, when we done the uh, football tournament, which my team, which I captained, won. <laughs> okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, all, all jokes aside. Yeah, all, all jokes aside, I think 
um, you know, from a young age, everyone who's half decent at football uh, wants to be a footballer. So Absolutely. for me, from primary school, I was like one of the best players in primary school, came to secondary school, and then it was so competitive, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you, you just move on to different levels and it becomes more and more competitive. Yeah. But one thing I really remember was I couldn't even do Sunday league football because of church. Yeah, yeah. My mom yeah, just wouldn't let me go. Well, yeah. All the games were on Sundays. Yeah, exactly. So I just I just couldn't go. And, and I, I was thinking, well, what if I took football a bit more seriously? Maybe... Uh, Oh, I might have made it. No, but uh, <laughs> all jokes aside, yeah, it's 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 good to hear uh, your journey. And I think many people hear about football, becoming a footballer, and and they know how how uh, difficult it is. And many parents, especially back in the days, yeah. wouldn't even encourage their children because they know it's difficult, and they push yeah. their children towards education, etc. Yeah, but I've got one very, very quick question. Yeah. Um. If if a child has got talent, and you know, you spoke about. For example, driving your 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 child to like Exeter, for example. Do you reckon parents should be pushing their children? I think so, hundred percent. Mm. Because that the when everybody who goes on to play professional football or higher level of academy football at whatever level, whether it's in this country or abroad, usually there's one person in the family that supports them. Mm. It, and there's always one person who's an anchor who helps. Like, okay, drive them here, whatever, give them encouragement, and so on and so on. There's always you'll find it. 100% out of 100 people yeah, 100% out of everybody who's made it there's always one person that kind of helps you mm. and you know I think it's definitely but it just requires you put in all the work from the age of 6 to 16 where they, they then it improves their chances but then once they get to 16, 17, 18 they're kind of on their own so mm. it's almost like you're, you're doing the raising of the child, right? Yeah. And then you're doing your, your, not only are you focusing on football, you're also focusing on education just to make him as a whole holistic, right? Yeah. So I think yeah. my advice, I guess, to parents is do it, but do it all the way. Don't just say, okay, cool. Do you know what? I'm going to do it this week, but next week I can't do it. Mm. Well, my advice is if there's four or five of the kids, you take turns, have a little mm. rotor. That mm-hmm. takes him this week takes some training this week, then a different dad takes in the next week. Mm. And then that way you have a little bit of a time in between and you can kind of spread the workload, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's one of the things we recommend now to parents at, at my at my academy. You know what okay. I mean? And okay. It helps a lot. Got to yeah. be pro- proactive, man. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, plan in advance. But absolutely. if you're going to go in, you go in all in. Yeah, you got to go all in. in. Yeah, you yeah. can't complain about petrol. You can't complain about hotel costs. Yeah. You can't complain about all that stuff because all you're doing is just giving your son or daughter the best opportunity for them to succeed in life. Mm. Just the same effort you put in their education, mm. you've got to put, whether it's football or whether it's basketball, mm. athletics or drug, whatever it may be, whether it's, whatever it may be, it's got to be full on because mm. they need the hours and need the repetition time. Yeah, it's, it's an investment. You need to invest, basically. 100%. And it might not pay off. Yeah, but that's all investments, investments right? Don't pay off. <laughs> yeah, it's risk. It doesn't pay off. But yeah. what happens is, the benefits of it is they have friends in the football industry mm. and there's so many other careers within the sport. And even if they play for two, three years as a pro, you can make a lot of money, mm. you know? And I experienced myself that, you know, the first that, couple of yeah. years, I made I made a lot of money in a yeah. short period of time. It might, I might not have made six, seven, eight million, yeah. but in the grand scheme of things, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, 22, I made a lot of money. Wow. You know what I mean? And, and that's and, and a lot of money in general, not in just general. for 16, Yeah, just in general, yeah, 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 just in general yeah, as, yeah, as wow. a human being. And, yeah. and talk to, so you're obviously playing football then and then you, you've obviously um, mentioned, obviously right now you're a football coach at yeah. uh, Peterborough. Yeah. Um, how, what was the transition from football? So you're sort of 17, 18, 19. What kind of happened then in terms of transitioning into the career you're doing now? If that makes so sense. the transition, it kind of, 